You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 37. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome to Liberty Buzzard, the podcast for inquisitive minds where we talk about the latest and the greatest and sometimes not the latest and greatest news of culture on the American highways. Good morning, Thomas Umstead Jr. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right, and I'm excited. We got our first YouTube comment and our first negative comment. Hello, YouTube world. Uh, So for those of you who um, don't know, Liberty Buzzard now has a YouTube channel where you can listen on YouTube, and somebody said, why talk about drugs when you're clueless about them? I often wonder if these commenters actually read the or listen to the episodes uh, before commenting. But anyway, thank you for our first comment. If you'd like to comment, you can comment on any of our episodes at uh, if you go to LibertyBuzzard.com. We have a link to our YouTube channel and you can also uh, just do a search for Liberty Buzzard on YouTube and we will come up. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for the negative comment. Uh, you know, we, we appreciate all comments, negative, positive. But uh, yeah. Um, why talk about drugs when you're clueless about them? Of course, I, uh, I had to make a, I tried to make it tactful, Thomas, but I had to make a reply and just to put it out there for anybody who wants to comment, now's your time. Our show is small enough that you're going to receive personal, personalized attention when you make a comment, whether it's a good one, whether it's a bad one, whether it's a neutral one, I'm going to make my best effort to get out there or Thomas might get out there and uh, make, and make a response. And I responded to our commenter and I, 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 I basically said that, uh, you know, when it comes to actually taking drugs, neither Thomas and I are experts on that subject matter. So you're right. But our show wasn't about uh, smoking the ganja. Our show was about policy and public policy and the legalization of drugs or not. So uh, I don't think either one of us is really clueless in that area. What do you think, Thomas? Uh, well, you know, we, I, I've read two or three books on on drug policy and I've served in the a grand jury and uh, you've been a cop and uh, you know arrested people so i feel like we've we've seen some of it but we don't have all perspectives that's why we like comments we can get your perspective although i don't feel like we i am much edified by this particular comment but don't worry we will not necessarily pick on your comment if you choose to leave us a comment on youtube um now i do want to ask you though about this uh, senator ben sass you have just gone crazy over a senator from nebraska why Oh, Thomas, I have a new pol- politician crush. Uh, you know, uh, it was Ryan Paul, of course, you know, back before it was Ron Paul. Uh, but my new crush is Senator Ben Sass. He went on this rant. Uh, he's on the uh, Senate uh, Judicial Committee, and of course, he's uh, uh, one of the one of the actors in this great Kavanaugh drama. And uh, he went on this rant about how the legislative branch of government, which is the uh, branch of government, which is spelled out in the first article of our Constitution, the legislative branch has abdicated all responsibility of actually governing the country to the executive branch. And uh, it has also punted uh, all argument, uh, true thoughtful intellectual argument to the Supreme Court, which is why the selection of a Supreme Court justice has become such a politicized thing, which I think he was spot on and everything he said. Uh, we'll make a, a, a link to the actual video. Uh, ben Sass, man, I, I really didn't know a whole lot about the guy, but uh, I started doing a little bit of research on him uh, once I watched that video. And I got to tell you, I'm impressed. I went to his Twitter feed and, uh, you know, any guy, any, any person that 
refuses to take life a little bit too seriously. I'm a big fan of. And uh, his uh, his personal Twitter page says, I, I went to go back and actually look at it. Something to the effect, I, I refuse to believe that Twitter is a serious place or something. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing though. But uh, yeah, a guy after my own heart. Uh, ben Sass, my, mo- my new political crush. Uh, you know, he he seems to be a independent thinker, refuses to tow any party line, and, uh, you know, he makes calculated political and true comments. I'm impressed. Thomas, you watched the video. What do you think? I like how he kept referencing Schoolhouse Rock as, like, the epitome of, like, how the country should run and how the government should run. <laughs> because for most people, they haven't actually read the Constitution, and their understanding of how a bill becomes law is the Schoolhouse Rock video, which we'll link to in the show notes as well if you want to watch it. So the episode, we're actually going to have useful show notes uh, on this episode. We're linking to some fascinating videos and news stories. And he kept basically going back to the idea that Schoolhouse Rock is not how government is working right now. And we've been coming less and less as is described in that video every year because the branches of government are not doing their appropriate roles and instead of whining about it and blaming the other branches, which is what is typically done, he was saying it's our fault as Senate, as the Senate. It's our f- fault as the House of Representatives uh, because we got here. And I thought that that was very statesmanlike. Uh, and, and it makes sense. And it is, I will say, the inevitable um, outcome. Uh, historically, you see bodies like the Roman Senate get less and less power every year for various reasons. And uh, the American Senate is following along the same path as the Roman Senate, as much as uh, our founding fathers tried to avoid that. So we were wanting to model after the Roman Republic, our Republic, but we're also wanting to learn from the failures of the Roman Republic. Because as we all know, the Roman Republic failed and turned into the Roman Empire, which was uh, not a great place uh, unless you were the emperor. And quite frankly, not a great place for the emperor either. <laughs> they died uh, pretty quickly often after they became emperor. So, um, you know, there's a reason we vote in Latin. We're trying to be the Roman Republic and not the Roman Empire. And I think that we need to have a discussion about how government, how our government was designed. And uh, the biggest thing that I think is important for people to understand, and our buzzard nation, the listeners of the show are smarter than your average bear. And I think that most of our listeners could explain the differences between the three roles of government. Uh, But most people don't, they don't realize that the presidency and the executive branch, which includes all of the bureaucracies is not supposed to create laws that that's the role of the legislative branch which is the House of Representatives and the Senate. They're the ones who create the laws. Executive branch is supposed to enforce the laws. And the judicial branch is supposed to um, like decide how the laws are uh, applied in specific situations. So there is this law that says, you know, don't murder. And the punishment for murder is between five years in prison and the death penalty. And, you know, there's some range there because the law realizes that there's different kinds of murders. You have somebody who, you know, is a calculated murder and he shot a whole bunch of people and he has no remorse and he's done it multiple times. It's like, yeah, maybe the death penalty or maybe life in prison for that guy. And then you have a married couple who've been married for 50 years and the husband is there with his wife in the hospital and she is dying and she is in excruciating pain and he can't bear to see her in pain. And so he pumps the morphine button a bunch of times and kills her. 
that is murder still, but it's not the same kind of murder. It's not motivated in the same way. And the whole point of the judicial branch is that it's able to see, okay, this person, this terrorist who shot up this school and did it again in this old man who didn't want to see his wife suffer um, of 50 years, those should be treated differently. And that is the purpose of the judicial branch. The purpose of the judicial branch is not to decide, oh, you know what? We're deciding that murder is not wrong after all. I think that, uh, you know, we should be more lenient and tolerant for murderers. And obviously I'm using an extreme example here. Although if you look at abortion, it's not actually as extreme as you might think. Uh, and that, that the role is a very specific role and that by separating powers, we keep uh, the different branches are supposed to keep each other in check. And the legislative branch is not keeping the judicial branch in check and it's not keeping, or at least until recently, the executive branch in check. It's been just giving power away to whoever wants it. And that's creating problems for our republic. And Ben Sass did a great job pointing it out. So I want to give him props and encourage you all to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm definitely I'm, I'm, I'm really going to start following him more closely. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see his future political career. Um, is it going to be more of a Ron Paul, Rand Paul-esque uh, speaking from the outsides career or could he become more mainstream? I think, you know, I hope it's the latter. Um, I hope that's what our party moves to, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be following him regardless. I think it's interesting, Thomas, that, uh, schoolhouse rock is the great political philosopher of, uh, the children of the late or or educator, excuse me, not philosopher, educator of the late seventies and early eighties. So any child who grew up watching TV in the late seventies, early eighties is going to know, uh, the basic functions of government probably for more from schoolhouse rock than anything else. And also, you know, the basics of the English language, because conjunction, junction, what's your function? I mean, who doesn't, that's just, that just sings. I don't care who you are. That just sings. But, uh, but yeah, moving on from that, you also brought up that, uh, of course, anybody who listens to Liberty Buzzard for two seconds is going to know that Thomas and I are both huge students of history. And we are both, especially huge students of the Roman Republic. Um, uh, largely because it, our, our, our Republic is modeled so much after the Roman Republic. An interesting thing about the Roman Republic is that um, for those who know the Roman Senate was the power center uh, in the Roman Republic up until about the time of Julius. And then especially in the time of Octavius and Octavian Caesar. So right about the time that uh, Octavian Caesar took power and he wasn't called emperor in his lifetime. He was called princeps, which basically means uh, first among equals. He was the first citizen, uh, but he was effectively emperor and he effectively seized control of uh, power largely by eliminating a lot of his enemies, by stacking the deck in his favor in the Senate. And also he effectively marginalized the Senate using legal means. And it was, it was, it was a master of a uh, of, of political drama. What he did, he was Octavian was it, the politician among politicians. But another great thing about Octavian is a great quote unquote, great thing about Octavian is, is he was such, I'll I'll say the term great leader, but I I guess a better term is an effective leader. He was such an effective politician, an effective national uh, leader for the state of, uh, for the empire of Rome that uh, the Senate was, they didn't, I mean, they kind of begrudged giving away the power, but I think they kind of willingly did it. He was so strong that they were like, okay, this guy's got it. We're going to let him have it. The problem therein being the succession, who took over after him 
you know, wasn't quite as effective as him. I think it was Tiberius. And then, you know, eventually we got uh, um, um, a bunch, a series of better emperor after that who weren't quite up to the task of being Octavian Caesar. So power vacuums. Yes, you can give your power away to an individual or in, in, in even Octavian created an incredibly effective bureaucracy within Rome, like largely like our uh, bureaucracy under the executive branch right now. You can give your power away to bureaucrats and you can give your power away to a strong central leader. But what happens when a central leader takes over that is not up to the task? And this is going to be a controversial statement. Depending on who you talk to, whether you love him, Donald Trump is up to the task and is supremely qualified or you hate him and he's the exact opposite. You know, this is what we are stuck with when we have an executive branch that is too powerful. And this is the whole point of the Constitution, the whole point of checks and balances. And you can't abdicate your power. It's a slippery slope. It's kind of like when the Democrats uh, a few years ago put forth the nuclear option and are now reaping the seeds that they have sown and they shot themselves in the foot and now they're getting they're getting the best of what they gave. Uh, this is what happens when you change the rules or when you abdicate power. Eventually, it's going to come back, circle around, and it's going to haunt you. What do you think, Thomas? We are in the perfect historical moment to illustrate this point because we've just had two presidents that are beloved by their parties, right? Republicans love Donald Trump. Your core Republican, like his base, just loves him. He can do no wrong. As he said, he could go to Central Avenue and shoot somebody and his, his people will continue to support him. And that, I believe that quote that he put in that speech is from like uh, it's research, right? They did a focus group and that's what the people said because I believe it. And I've met those kinds of Trump supporters and I met those kinds of Obama supporters. <laughs> go back just one presidency. We have a president who has loved by his base. They saw him as the Messiah. They saw him as like the greatest thing that had ever happened to this country. He was a wise and just ruler. He represented diversity. He was the perfect man to be president. And with both of these presidents, the party behind the president just came to the president and laid down at his feet power power that the president did not previously have, authority that the president did not recently have. And from that party's perspective, it seemed like a good idea. Why not give Obama more executive powers? Why not allow him to do things with executive orders that had previously been done through the legislature? If the legislature is not good doing it. You have a quote, just ruler. And from their perspective, they had a just ruler. Why not give him the power to act and, and to do that? Well, the answer is in Donald Trump. If, if you saw Obama as the Messiah, you see Donald Trump as the opposite of that. Or if you saw if you see Donald Trump as the Messiah, you saw Obama as the opposite of that. And the power that you give to the presidency becomes the power that is given to the next president. And in the Roman Republic, what this was, was Egypt. So Egypt produced so much grain because of the Nile. Julius Caesar goes down to Egypt. He does what he does with Cleopatra, and he personally gets control over the lands of Egypt. It was not controlled by Rome. It was controlled by Caesar. And whoever controlled Egypt controlled Rome. 
How? Well, all of the grain, the leftover grain from Egypt was shipped and given out for free to Roman citizens in exchange for votes. And so who was the Augustus? So, you know, you had Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus. And then after that, after a while, all of the Caesars became called Augustuses. And Augustus was the title for the guy who controlled Egypt. (laughs) In fact, they even had a law that if you were a senator, you weren't even allowed to visit Egypt. You could not go see the pyramids if you were a senator or even of the senatorial class. The Caesars were so afraid of losing their core base of power. And what we're doing is we're creating an Egypt. The more people who get money from the government, whether it's a farmer getting a farm subsidy or somebody getting their tuition paid for or somebody getting a you know cut in taxes because they're paying interest on their home you know whatever it is that you're getting money for the government the more money the government gives out the more powerful the quote egypt unquote gets until suddenly you have somebody that has too much power <laughs> no one man should have all that power uh you know that's not just true in rap songs it's true in politics and i think we need to be very careful and and the ones who need to be careful right now are the ones who want trump to have the power. And the ones who should have been careful four years ago were the ones who wanted Obama to um, have more power. Democrats are not going to uh, keep Trump from gathering power to himself. We're already expecting them to do everything they can to be the opposition party. That's their job right now. But the, what, what we really need is Republicans to say, yes, we could get this short-term gain but not at the expense of long-term costs to the country. We have to protect our institutions. We have to protect the balance of power. And you've got an anemic Congress right now that is just not very powerful. And we need to make Congress stronger. And I think one good thing of the Trump presidency is that because of his personality, he is causing the legislature to push back on him more, uh, which is, I think, possibly good, where we see the legislature say, you know what, we have delegated too much to the judicial branch. We've delegated far too much to the executive branch. We're going to take some of this authority back. Um, We do control spending after all. (laughs) So the power of the purse is in the Congress. And that's a powerful thing. And I think that they could take the power back if they wanted to. Only time will tell if that actually happens. Yeah, uh, and just a quick note out there uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, I was saying Octavius Caesar and uh, Thomas was saying Augustus. They're one and the same man. It's just uh, periods in life of what uh, how he was referred uh, to in his lifetime. So uh, Octavian was his his given name. He, then he became Octavian Caesar, um, and uh, then he became Augustus Caesar. So it, uh, it's one person and the same, just uh, different names. Just to, just to clarify. And one more fun fact, the reason why we don't have 10 months, we have 12 months, is that Julius Caesar uh, added a month named after himself, which we called July, and then Caesar Augustus wanted to add a month named after himself, which is known as August. So uh, that's why we have 10, uh, 12 months instead of 10, which would have been a much more rational month number, perhaps. Uh, 10 is uh, more friendly for math in some ways, but, uh, you know, they had big egos, and we still remember those egos today. <laughs> Coming next month, uh, there will be a 13th month, which we will call Trump. Uh, anyway, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about politics, uh, Thomas, because I have seen here in Texas a very interesting trend, um, an alarming trend for me, uh, for some. They're going to actually really enjoy this, and I know that we've both been keeping track on it, but it's the race between Beto and Cruz here in Texas. Of course, this is a senatorial race. And has wide-reaching effects because the Senate position is, uh, by definition, uh, there's two in each state. So they're very, very powerful positions. And it's uh, very much 
Uh, Texas is a very red state. I don't think anybody doesn't know that. But this is very much a referendum on our president. Um, so can this guy named Beto, uh, who's running for, he's, I think he's a state senator, state representative, I can't remember, from El Paso. Can this guy come back and defeat Cruz in a Republican powerhouse state? Of course, this is Senator Ted Cruz, who was formerly also a candidate for president. Can it happen? And I'm really, I, I will say from my own part, I'm concerned because I don't agree with his policies uh, that uh, Beto has a decent chance. Um, and the reason, uh, this is very anecdotal. This is not fact-based. So I'm, I'm really going to reach to Thomas for the fact-based part of it uh, after I'm done with my spiel. I have seen Beto signs, political signs popping up in yards that I would never expect them to see them. I'm talking, I live in a rural America. And I drive, I try to stay off the interstate because I hate it. And I try to drive through rural America. And you go through some of these rural towns and you see these Beto signs popping up where you never would expect a Democrat signs to pop up. So to me, that's anecdotal evidence that uh, in the state of Texas, we might have a, we might have a reckoning of, of, of a referendum on Donald Trump. What do you think about it, Thomas? So Cruz is in a difficult position, uh, and it's a difficult position that he put himself in. Uh, so how did he get in this position? Well, he, uh, to understand how we got here, we have to go back to the presidential race, and we have to specifically go back to Donald Trump making fun of Ted Cruz's wife for being ugly. Uh, so Trump was going after Cruz, you know, all's fair in love and war, but then Trump broke the rules of decorum and went after Cruz's family. And Cruz was not able to get over that. Uh, and I get it. Like at the time I was not married, but now I'm married. And it's like, I love my wife. And if somebody insulted my wife, like I would be like, uh, clean language does not, I'm, I'm struggling to find clean language. We want to keep our clean rating on this podcast, but I would not appreciate it. Like you don't insult my wife and you don't do it in front of the whole country. That is just unacceptable behavior. And so when it came time for Cruz to bow the knee and kiss the ring of Trump at the um, convention, he was unable to do it. And he gave a big, long speech. And at the end of the speech, he did not endorse Trump. And he was booed off the stage. And I was like, wow, what a what a courageous stand. I was really impressed with Cruz and the courage that it took to give that speech. And he, at that moment, had gathered unto himself all of the never-Trumpers in the Republican Party, all of the people who are suspicious of Trump, and lost for himself all of the Trump supporters. All of the people wearing the red MAGA hats were like, Cruz is dead to me now. I used to like Cruz, and now he is the worst, most vile person. He's a traitor to the party. He's a traitor to the president. This is God's appointed leader, and he is not supporting God's appointed leader. And what happened behind the scenes was that incredible pressure was put on Cruz to go ahead and endorse Trump. And Cruz finally gave in to that pressure and quietly endorsed Trump, thus losing for himself the one group that he gained. So the never Trumpers now are like, oh, well, he bowed the knee to Trump and he kissed the ring. So there, he's not our guy anymore. And so now here he is going into an election, having lost the core of the party, the MAGA people, and lost the never Trumpers. <laughs> so he has successfully alienated the two biggest factions of the party. And he's going into an election uh, where turnout is key. 
uh, in midterms, it's all about turnout because a lot of people don't realize that you can vote uh, every two years. Uh, you actually can vote every year on something. Uh, at least in Travis County, we seem to have an election every six months. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the midterm election is really important. It's where your governors are selected in most states. It's where your uh, senator is sometimes selected. It's where your congressman is always selected, uh, depending on the rotation and how your state laws work. And he has lost the coalition that he built. He, his coalition, his, his core group, his initial people, a lot of them are now Trump people, right? He, he came in on the wave of the Tea Party, on angry people, people who are angry with the way Washington was run. You know, drain the swamp was something that Cruz very easily could have said in his early races. He was running as an outsider who's trying to change things up. But now Trump supporters see Cruz as the swamp because he's fighting against Trump or at least not supporting Trump enough. And I don't know if Trump is going to come in and weigh in on Cruz's behalf. I feel like that would really make um, the difference for Cruz if Trump would you know, tweet to help him out or something. But I don't think Trump is going to want to do that. He might just out of political calculation, but Trump and Cruz had something personal <laughs> between them. It wasn't just politics. Uh, you know, Trump kicked Cruz in very vulnerable places and Cruz hit back pretty hard. And I, I, it, it's put Cruz in a difficult position. So then you look at Texas and you see um, Beto, who is very charismatic, he's very good looking, is running a very um, strategic grassroots race that's all about yard signs. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what else Beto is doing. I haven't seen a commercial of his and I haven't seen an ad of his. I, I, I've not been reached by any of his messaging, but I have seen his yard signs. And it is interesting because as I drive into Williamson County, I see his signs and they're often defaced <laughs> because Williamson County is a very red county. <laughs> and so people spray paint a V over the B. So it just says veto <laughs> instead of veto. Um, so it'll... it'll <laughs> oh, clever. So, you know, while I don't uh, support defacing signs, this is, again, a form of political expression that goes back to the Roman times. Graffiti, as a form of political expression, we still have graffiti to this day that Romans, you know, put on walls uh, criticizing each other. <laughs> so uh, there's there's nothing new under the sun here. And if you look at the polls, Beto or Beto is a few points behind Cruz, sometimes within the margin of error. But here's the problem with those polls. Those polls are either looking at registered voters, which is a bad audience to look at because not everyone who's registered votes in the midterm. You can get away with that in a presidential race because most registered voters will um, vote, presumably, especially if it's a you know a highly televised race, and most presidential races are. Uh, but the uh, polls often are looking at what they call likely voters. And figuring out who a likely voter is is very difficult. You're trying to guess to someone's future behavior. And historically, uh, they would just look at, you know, well, did you vote in the last elections? That's how we will tell who the likely voter is. If you voted in the last three elections, you're a likely voter. Um, but, the, but the problem with that is that with a candidate like Beto, you have people who may have not voted in the last midterm elections who are going to show up and vote for him. Maybe. We don't know. And maybe people who were loyal voters, you know, and they're going to go ahead and vote Republican, but they're going to leave Cruz's name blank to stick it to him for not supporting Trump enough. And if we don't know how if that's going to happen. And since the pollsters don't know 
if that's going to happen and there's it's hard for them to guess it's really hard to trust the polls uh, because they're just guessing at who the audience of voters is going to be and which makes it really hard to predict who's going to win and also brings up the question uh and this may be a good topic for a future episode but is high voter turnout a good idea or put another way is low turnout a bad idea because in some ways low voter turnout can be an indication that people are content with the way things are going and they're not too unhappy and they're not they don't see a real big difference and they don't really care uh, a really high turnout can indicate people are really unhappy with how government is being run and they're wanting to stick it to the government. Although in some countries, low voter turnout means people no longer have faith in the elections. Uh, they don't believe the results are any good or they think both parties are the same. So uh, in some ways, if somebody votes and they don't know anything, they should vote for the name they recognize. They are washing away the vote of somebody who's paying attention. <laughs> so there's a certain kind of person who votes for the names that they recognize on a ballot. And I, I don't feel like that kind of vote is very helpful because the sorts of things that someone gets featured for in the news are very rarely good things, right? CNN rarely says, Senator Smith did a good vote on such and such bill. No, they're they're going to talk about Senator Smith. They're going to talk about him for some scandal, which means if you recognize a name, there's a good chance it's because there's been a lot of scandals about that guy. He's not a good guy to vote for. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm torn because I want people to feel involved and I want people to vote and be able to vote. But I also want people to be informed, at least do research uh, so that they're not just voting in the same bozos over and over again. Dustin? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a big conundrum in the whole political process, right? You know, we want universal suffrage. We don't want to discriminate against anybody politically for any reasons. That's one of the beauties of our nation as it was founded and especially as it has evolved to, to make equality truly equal. Um, and you know, two things, a, uh, it was beautiful the way they, the, our, our founding fathers set up the country with equality in mind. Of course, we had this great, uh, disparity in the fact that we still had slavery and uh, women couldn't vote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, they set the foundations so that uh, as our culture and as humanity and humanity progressed, it could in fact truly become more equal. And are there still disparities in the system? Sure. Um, but I think we're as a culture, uh, we are always trying to make things as equal as humanly possible. We have, we have such a, um, I won't call it overdeveloped, but maybe a little hyperbole there. Overdeveloped sense of equality and justice in this nation held by both the left and both the right, but viewed from different sides. But everybody wants everything to be equal. We don't want to hold anything back. Most of us do. Most of us that, uh, yeah, of course, there's there's the fringes out there, but we're not touching on that. I think largely speaking, from my opinion, um, come left or come right, we, we all want this nation to be ideal. We all want it to be truly equal. So, um you know, I, I think I, I got a little off topic there um, in in terms of polls. And I think you made the comment of, you know, we want people to be educated and informed in their votes. Um, but at the same time, I have to I, I can't be intellectually honest and come to you and say I go because I, I try to vote as much as I can that I've gone to that ballot box and um, I, I don't always vote straight ticket down. I want to read each name and I'll come to some of these down ballot races and I'm like, who? what? And I'm like, I don't know. And sometimes you just got to make a choice or not vote at all. And sometimes not voting at all is the best choice because to be intellectually honest, you have to sit there and say, am I making a choice based on what I know or what I don't know? And if you don't make, 
if you're making a choice just on who has an R next to their name and who's at the top of the list, that could be a really a, a really terrible choice. So I, I choose not to vote in those instances. But uh, but yeah, uh, not everybody makes that decision. Make there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, I came all the way out here to vote. I'm putting a check box next to somebody's name. I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm just going to pick this name because I like the sound of it. So is that a great way to vote? No. Um, and then of course you got the other people out there who are just going to vote uh, are just going to vote uh, straight ticket Dem just because uh, they don't know any better and it's easy and uh, we are all as human beings mentally lazy and we all want to we want to take the the easy route out. So uh, so yeah, uh, it's it, it's problematic. Um, going back to what we originally started talking about, Beto versus Cruz. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I say that a lot. It doesn't sound like a broken record, but it will it'll be interesting to watch to see what happens. I will be at the polls. I, I'm Ted Cruz is not my favorite human being in the world, but his uh, he is definitely a politician amongst politicians. There's just no getting around that. Um, and uh, he'll get my vote just because his policy is aligned with mine. And looking at his voter, voter rec- voting record, his voting record aligns with mine, so he'll he'll get my vote. Uh, but it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be uh, it'll be a forum to see what people think about our national politics. Yeah, Cruz had better hope that a lot of people show up to the polls and just check the box that says "straight ticket Republican" in Texas, which is his best path to victory right now. It's, people aren't going to want to check his box, or at least a lot of people aren't going to want to check his box. But a lot of Texans just vote "straight ticket Republican," and that that's his best hope right now, I think, because uh, there's going to be a lot of people going in voting "straight ticket Democrat" as a protest vote against Trump. And there's a lot of Democrats out there that are really motivated right now. I mean, Democrats, if you and people who hate Trump, if you hate Trump, you are super motivated right now. Just the way, just like the Republicans are motivated back in 2010, just like they're motivated uh, in 2012, just like they're motivated back in uh, 2016 for the presidential race. The Republicans who vehemently disagreed with Obama and his policies and his presidencies, they were motivated to go vote. And just like you already mentioned, the Democrats out there who were content probably were like, eh, Hillary Clinton's going to win anyway. I don't like her that much, but uh, I think all the other Democrats will take care of me. I'm going to stay home, drink a latte, have a glass of wine. I'm not going to get out there and go vote because uh, it, it's a lot of work to go vote, and it is. So you have to be really, really motivated to go stand in that line and deal with all that BS to go vote. And right now, uh, and this is my big fear, and I think you know we can talk about a blue wave in a future, in a future show because we're, we're running long on time here. But I think the big, my big fear of the blue wave is the fact that the Democrats are super, super motivated right now. Yeah, I don't think they're going to win any other statewide races. I don't think Texas is going to, quote, turn blue, as they would like you to think. Um, partly because the other candidates aren't very weak uh, or aren't very strong on the left. And the other Republican candidates are much stronger. So Greg Abbott's very popular. A lot of the other statewide uh, elected officials are very popular and the Democrats are betting all of their chips on Cruz and they're really, or sorry, on Beto. And they're really hoping they can turn out the Hispanic vote. Historically, Democrats in Texas have had a really hard time turning out the Hispanic vote. Hispanics all will raise their hands and say that they're Democrat, but they don't get excited for pro-abortion, you know, really leftist candidates because a lot of them are conservative in their hearts. <laughs> the, the reason they don't vote conservative is because the conservative parties, um, you know, are not for them and are they're, you know, very anti-immigration. They're not welcome. Uh, 
Bush reached out to Hispanic conservative Hispanics and built his coalition with them. And uh, Rick Perry did in the early days. But there, this new wave of Trump people have really pushed out Hispanics. Um, not completely, but they're not they're not very welcome, especially if they're a Spanish speaker. They're not very welcome. And the Democrats are like, oh, we'd love to have you. And the Hispanic voters you know, are like, yeah, but will you support our conservative, you know, Catholic views? And the Democrats are like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure we will. But then they don't. And when they run candidates like Wendy Davis, whose whole thing is her pro-abortion position, she's just not very attractive to that audience. So it'll be interesting to see if Beto is able to convince Hispanics that he's one of them, that he's a that they're kind of conservative while also being their kind of Democrat. And if he's able to do that, he'll be the first uh, in a very long time to you know be able to include a big group of uh, conservative Hispanic voters in his uh, voting block. Uh, it's been tried before and failed. I feel like he's got a good chance to do it, but uh, time will tell. Uh, you will hear this episode before Election Day, though, so we'll all watch together and we'll definitely do a post-game report on Election Day uh, with some of our thoughts. But uh, we want to thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on YouTube and on LibertyBuzzard.com. I'm Thomas Sumstead Jr. I'm Dustin Hammett. And you've been listening to Liberty Buzzard. This episode of Liberty Buzzard is brought to you by Tom Umstadt CPA. Tom has over 35 years of experience helping people like you pay only their fair share in taxes. Don't let the IRS stress you out. Get Tom and his team on your team at taxmantom.com.